What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me for weekly conversations on purpose with women who have found it and are impacting their worlds with it. Recycling is, again, not the solution. What you have to think about is, don't think about product if it can be recycled first. It's always, can I have a reusable option or, or a compostable option? Every female on the planet should be on whatever is your jig, the cup, the pads, the underwear, but we should all be on it. We all benefit from it. We all save money from it. We don't have to pay the pink tax on it. We don't have the period poverty for most female on the planet Earth. But every morning, I'm thinking, would I want to do something else? No. No, I love, love what I do. And I keep on thinking, if I die tomorrow, which is not a good thing because I have three young kids, uh, if I die tomorrow, I did something. You know what I mean? I, I had an impact on waste, which is ridiculous when you think about it. But I did have an impact, and I tried to really reduce the waste we create every day. Since last month's COP26 conference ended in, let's be honest, a little bit of disappointment and some lukewarm promises, I've been wondering if there's anything that I can do on a personal level that might make even a shred of difference to climate change. Because if I'm to practice what I preach, then even small changes create impact and can eventually have an exponential effect. So that's why I am so excited to be speaking with Claire Sonslow today. Claire is the founder of The Hive, a chain of zero-waste retail stores in Kuala Lumpur and Singapore. We talk about how Claire began her zero-waste journey, what we can all do immediately that can reduce our carbon footprint, and what she is most passionate about democratizing zero waste so that everyone can adopt a low waste lifestyle. But to begin with, we talk about the moment when she realized she had to change the way she was living and consuming. I think we all are for haha moment in our life when we change life, the way we consume. Um, for me, because I'm born in 76, so I'm a 45 year old woman now, and I lived, so I'm French, I lived in New York from 19 to 29. So it was a time of imagine sex in the city and high consumerism. And of course, you were a teenager or an adult, young adult female in that world. My God. But I was always raised with parents who were very eco-conscious. Like I was raised in the 80s in northern France and we would recycle everything. We would put all the paper, all the glass, all the metal in the car and we will go ourselves to the bin, which is not very far. Every neighborhood will have their own recycling and then I moved to Hong Kong in back in 05 and I I was recycling, but in Hong Kong it was interesting <laughs> because they make us they make you recycle and you have to separate segregate all your waste and then the bin will come and they will put everything in the same bin. And this is when Hong Kong I realized, hold on, they don't recycle actually. They they are incinerated. They, so they make you believe that you are recycling, which is really I mean, it shouldn't be illegal, but anyway, it is legal. So this is where you realize now we remove the recycling option. So you don't have a clear conscience anymore. So you're much more conscious about the way you consume. So this is what actually the trigger, what was the trigger to me. And then it was a slow journey. Um, and slowly but surely, I started to remove all the disposable in the house and I really, really enjoyed the journey. It brought me to minimalism as well, which I really enjoy. Having now a large family of three children, minimalism is a life-saving for me. Um, and it brought me to nutrition because I, I was, I was, I'm a child of the 80s, 90s, where, you know, I was fed on processed food. And I learned, you, you know, you buy non-packaged food and non-packaged food is mainly non-processed food. So you have to a bit, but not much, but basic cooking, which I never did really. Um, so I learned about nutrition. I learned about minimalism. I learned about myself, of course, and what I really wanted. I downsized my wardrobe, so I'm much happier. I mean, I, I only got, it's really a gift that keeps on giving, you know. I, I, I managed to let go of so many things. 
uh, and concentrate on what was more important to me. Yes. I love the idea that it simplifies your life because I feel, particularly with kids, it's so easy for your life to fill up with stuff and and obviously also extra garbage and extra disposables. So you then started your Zero Waste Lifestyle blog in Hong Kong in 2012. So I started blogging and I'm not even a writer. I'm not a literary person. I'm an economist, you know, uh, so, but for some reason, I, I think I wanted to share the experience and I, and I started the, the Facebook page at the time, which is, I think it's still live. It's called Hong Kong Green Home. It's, it's really lame. When you think about it, you're a bit ashamed of what, but it was the beginning. And, um, and, you know, I wanted to share with others, how do you make those things? You know, you can make your own laundry powder. Uh, you can, uh, where to source products in Hong Kong that were package free, uh, hey, you know, how to bring your lunchbox at, at the office package free, those kind of things. So I was just sharing my little tricks and it, it really gained momentum. And I got a lot of media coverage for my blog and from, from this, because at the time, no one was talking about it. Recycling was just what we could do as an environmentalist, not even as an environment, as a citizen, the only thing you could do for the planet was recycling. So it was very interesting to see um, the media being very intrigued by my lifestyle, which at the time to me was normal now. Uh, but And it really, it was really interesting to see that so many people was, were aspiring to that and wanted that. Uh, but we had no, as citizens, we had nowhere to go. I'm pleased to say that now in Hong Kong, we have, really a lot of zero waste stores that are all as cute and adorable as possible. Um, but at the time there was none, there was not in 2005, there was no zero waste store in Hong Kong, no zero waste concept store. So you would have to go to the old neighborhoods, you know, when we were shopping prior to supermarkets, which still prevail in Asia, you still have some in many places in Asia, you still have those old, old neighborhoods where you have, the elderly who go there, who still owns the store, you know, which one I'm talking about. And that's where you could get your rice, you know, many products still package free. There is not so much food quality behind, you know, so you don't know where it really comes from. Nothing is really labeled. And I am a bit in between the two. I, I, mainly as soon as you have kids, you're like, I want organic. I need to know where it comes from. If it's all from mainland China, it's all, you know, for me, warning bells, chemicals, uh, you know, and not much regulation on food, but I shared the whole experience and I, and I think everybody was in the same problematic and they really wanted to hear, okay, what were the practical solutions? What could we do as citizens to really uh, lower, I mean, decrease our garbage size? Yeah. So was that idea then for a zero waste concept store, was that something that you had already started thinking about in Hong Kong? Never. I, I've never planned it as long-term. When I moved to KL, it was for economical reason. My husband is from KL, originally from Bangsa. And we he, he wanted to move back for a year in KL from Hong Kong. And I agreed to it. That's what you do when you're a couple, conversation. And I, I was finally happy with, you know, I had my three babies. Work was going well. I had my routine. And this is finally when I got the three babies with, with the routine and work with the routine. He says, well, Claire, I really want to change work. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I finally, it took me a few years to finally get to this equilibrium. But anyway, um, and then when we moved to KL, I was looking for a job and I had a hard time finding the job that I want, something that was interesting to me. Um, I always worked in production, in marketing and sales in Hong Kong and in New York. And here I couldn't work. It was not the same field. Malaysia was very much commodities and other things, other fields. So I couldn't find work and that's how it happened. And I'm like, I don't want to do, I had the luxury of not having to do something I don't want to do. So I had this massive luxury that I know not many people do have, uh, but I see the opportunity and I'm like, okay, there is nothing I want to do, but I do want to continue to pursue this lifestyle here. There is no places to buy products for those. You know, I want my 
food package free organic. I want my daily staples, my bamboo toothbrush. It was simple things. The barrier of entry are pretty low because I came from Hong Kong where everything is a billion dollar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, rental is that much? Now I think everything is expensive because I've been living there for five years. And I'm like, oh, rental is that much? Are you crazy? But at the time I was, oh, rental is only that much? Oh, that's very, the risk is pretty low to me. I came yeah. from, you know, another perspective. So I'm like, let's, let's put this amount of money uh, and let's try it and see if, it sticks. I didn't put much. Of course, of course, do not put all your retirement money. Uh, but I, I, I put a certain amount up for inventory, furnitures, which I bought secondhand from, from the previous business. And that was about it. I had no money for staff. I didn't even know the label was in KL at the time. And I had no money for marketing. So was it just you then in this store by yourself trying to see whether or not this idea would catch on? That's correct. Elena, this is a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, moving to KL. Obviously never lived in that country before. And I started the, the Zero Waste Kuala Lumpur Facebook page because I wanted to buy, as a consumer, I wanted to buy this product like I did in Hong Kong. And it really built up. A lot of people were, li- were same like me, looking for products. And we were all like banging our head against the wall. We couldn't find this, we couldn't find it. So I'm like, okay. Now I have this Facebook page. I live in Bangsa. I didn't even know where I was Ampang at the time. If you talk to me about Ampang, I, I have no idea where it is. Is it another city, another country? I do not know. Which for listeners is another neighborhood in KL where ultimately I had stores there. <laughs> but this is how clueless I was. But I knew I wanted those products. I knew there were at least two or three other people who wanted the products. Not many. How do you know any other neighborhood? Let's start a zero-way store, concept store in Bangsa. That's all I know. And that's how it started. I started very, very small. I never worked behind a cashier before in my life. And this is where I said, I told myself, I wish I worked in fast fashion when I was a student because I didn't even know how to deal with the POS system. But anyway, you learn quickly. And then because I had the community on social media and I had no staffer, Everybody came to help me. I had doctors, I had consultants, I had parents, I had elderly students. Everybody came to help me. But they were holding the cashier. I could leave. I could do other things. And I had a system where we didn't know what we were doing, but we did it because we, they didn't want me to close down. They were like, this is important for the community. We're all going to benefit from it. We have to make sure she doesn't close. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's clueless in a way. But let's make sure she doesn't close down. We did workshop on zero waste living, workshop on composting, workshop on edible gardening, circular economy, all those kind of things. So it was very interesting to see the community here making sure I do not sink and I stayed alive. And for two years, we made no money. I made, I made enough money to pay for rental and to pay for additional inventory, but no income for myself. Uh, I had all those volunteers coming, but it was very disorganized in a way. But for some reason, it was disorganized, but it was beautiful. I loved it. I mean, you should have seen the chaos, but it was beautiful chaos. Mm. Because it was a community rallying around you, right? This was a community concept store. Yes. So you could make many mistakes. People will forgive you. You had no idea because your heart was in it. You wanted me to succeed, but... People had no money. People didn't know what it was. You know, it's very hard to survive on the OS concept store in an emerging country at the time. Uh, and it was really chilled passion here. My husband was very cool about everything and he was happy that I was happy, but he let me go with my crazy ideas. I started a composting system. At the I mean, it was insane. I had to move. I got the DBKL pink slip because my neighbors complained about the composting system. But now we have Kibun Kibun Bongsa, which is beautiful. But see how the community then, you know, like, oh, the hive did it a few years ago, but of course it was not allowed. Uh, Because it was so successful that everybody would bring their compost. And I was just myself and the volunteers. Every day we had to turn it, turn it. I mean, it became a huge thing. And I'm like, I should have another business of just composting business, but I can't run so many businesses. Anyway, so we did a lot of things which were absolutely banana. I loved every bit of it. And then after two years, bang, 
explosion. Yeah. We did so well, but it took two years of like, yeah. it's so interesting. Two years of no money to two years, then we opened other stores. Yeah. And I could hire people. So you, in addition to the stores, you did a lot of workshops. You continue to do workshops. You continue to do a, a lot of community education. How yeah. has the... Um, the response, the public response to zero waste changed over the last six years? It's been amazing. Six years ago, terms like conscious consumer, zero waste, uh, were not even part of vernacular. Yeah. Um, I think worldwide, to be honest. Um, not just Malaysia, of course. Uh, pretty much everywhere in the world. And within six years, everything's changed. And now, unless you've been living under a rock... <laughs> Uh, you know that climate change is a serious issue. Um, but six years ago, climate change was not so, I mean, we were not talking so much about it. And even if you are in an emerging country where, I mean, of course, income is a priority uh, and uh, you're aspiring to a certain lifestyle. Uh, so your goal in life is really to just, you know, climb the social ladder, make more money. Uh, even in in countries like that, Climate change now is very, I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming important. So it's really good to see that. And yeah, within six years, it's kind of remarkable. In Malaysia, you find uh, in supermarkets and the largest pharmacy, you find menstrual cup, washable pads, and now you're going to get our period underwear. In many other countries, you go to the US, you go to supermarkets, you will not have the cup. You know that. Malaysia all of a sudden sort of boomed and it created a lot, a lot of different movements as well. A lot of movements followed the hype. Maybe sometimes you just need someone to do something, even minimal, to inspire you. But you need that person to do it first, to just remind you, hey, I can do it. Um, so maybe I was the spark for many things. Maybe it was going to happen anyway, even if the hype didn't exist. But then there was a lot of a lot of other zero waste stores uh, within the three years later showed up and which is wonderful in all neighborhoods and cities in Malaysia. And a lot of movement uh, came up as well. And I see them coming on social media all the time, green movements coming. Uh, so I think there is definitely now a very important concern. Uh, for me, my mission was um, because I had something against me. I, I'm a foreigner mm -hmm. uh, and I, come from France, which is Western Europe. Yeah. So, of course, I I come with this idea that, oh, this is only for certain part of the population. My products are for the, you know, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. The most of the population will think, oh, that's for her part of the world. Yeah. And for me, I really had to fight, and to this day, I'm still fighting it. I need to democratize. I The point is to make those products as available to everybody as everyone. I don't want to have a shishi brand only for people who can afford it. Yeah. So at the beginning, we were selling on top of the food, which is our wholesaler was in, we're in Malaysia. So our prices have always been competitive for food. We've always been, we were competing with supermarket price or even lesser when we could. The, the products for the bathroom and kitchen, we had American, French, UK, Aussie brands. We have Kiwi brands, EcoStore. Uh, and I do love, adore all those brands, but they're pricey. Yeah. They're pricey. If you want people from remote places in the country to afford it from the Kampung, it's too pricey. So ultimately, one by one, we're like, okay, we need to manufacture our pro those products ourselves. And we need to make sure most customer, you, if there's always a part of the population, you will never be able to reach. But everybody else, we need to make sure we can reach them. So we have to lower, obviously, our margin. We have to make sure we have a high quantity and we can really decrease the price as much as possible so everybody can is able to afford it. That's what we've done with all our feminine care, toothbrush, I mean, soap, shampoo, everything. We, we, we manufacture ourselves and we really make sure most population can afford our products, most customers. Yeah, I think that's really important because there is this idea, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that um, a zero-waste lifestyle, things like bamboo toothbrushes, um, that those are things for wealthy people. 
you know. Um, but uh, yeah, th- certainly with the food, the bulk food, the grains, the noodles, those prices are are really, you know, they're very accessible. Um, and I think the other thing about the hive that I like is it makes it it makes it easy for you, you know. If you want to start using reusable feminine care, okay, you've got options. You've got pads. You've got the cup. Need to be able to wash this? We've also got that sorted for you. Um, If you want to try to use bamboo toothbrushes, you've got that. You've got your own brand of bamboo toothbrushes, which are at an affordable price point. You've also got a range of different toothpastes that you can use. You you have composting workshops you can uh, bring back things to be recycled there. You can recycle clothes there. So if you, it's like a one-stop center, you know, all of the things that make it difficult for people to adopt a zero-waste lifestyle, you've thought of, and you've thought of a way to make it easy for people. That's correct. And I'm becoming, uh, because I'm a bit of a crazy person, obviously, <laughs> I'm becoming a recycling center. So if you come to my place on the weekend, we're collecting bubble wrap for all the e-commerce. We're mm-hmm. collecting cardboard boxes for, again, the old e-commerce to reuse. We, we collect e-waste. We, do, we used to collect the clothes, but now we are redirecting them to the shell station because the clothes, Elena, I, I was becoming Salvation Army. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and I was starting to smell like Salvation <laughs> So I had to tell Club Care, listen, it's too much. I'm too small. I'm actually becoming, even though they were coming twice a week, they, they would send me two guys, two big guys to come and pick up everything. I just had mountains of clothes and shoes and bags coming to me. And I still have a pretty small real estate space. You know, my stores are not huge. We, we have all those collections, mainly when pandemic hit. For the first time in my life, Elena, I ordered online. I never uh-huh. ordered. Uh-huh. And obviously it was my hair product. I have a big thing about hair. <laughs> and I had to order it online. And it came, it was something, a small hair product shampoo. Uh, sh- uh, not, not shampoo, but product, you know, to make your hair stick up high anyway. Uh, it came in a massive box and everybody had the same experience. It was a tiny product, came in a massive box and in a massive um, plastic cylinder mm-hmm. uh, thing. And I know it sounds stupid because everybody knew that, but I didn't uh, for some reason. And until you experience it, and I'm like, oh my God, right now, first confinement, everybody's ordering online. Everybody has those same things coming. So this is where I'm like, okay, Hive is going to collect. You can drop to the Hive all your bubble wrap, plastic wrap. And then I called all my e-commerce friends and I said, come to the Hive and collect bags and bags. I'm not talking small plastic bags huge bags of, plus it's very bulky, obviously, bubble wrap and anything like that. And they did. And it's been 18 months now. Yeah. And I told Zada, I told Shopee, come to my place, collect. I'm, I'm sinking in, um, in, in bubble, bubble wrap. wrap. Uh, and Zalora is now talking to us to see how we can have a collaboration. That's great. But themselves, they, they are trying to go, uh, old paper and no more plastic things. But I'm like, even the paper uses resources. We already have all this plastic wrap and all this bubble wrap already created, generated on the planet. Let's just reuse it rather than cut trees and and all the, the things that goes behind manufacturing, clean paper, water, transportation, logistic, everything, everything. Uh, but oh, I get it. I mean, their customers are expecting a certain standard too, but I mean, we're still working together and we're still trying to find solutions. But I mean, that's the one thing out of the pandemic that I felt was a big step backwards, you know, pre-pandemic, not consuming so much uh, packaging was becoming, starting to become mainstream. And then we went into the pandemic and it wasn't just online orders. It was also food delivery, right? When you order some when you order food from a restaurant, it came with mountains of packaging and plastic cutlery and tissues and things and it was just it it really did feel like a step backwards for those of us who want to do more what kinds of things can we do to reduce our environmental impact in stages as a first step that will have the biggest impact 
To me, the biggest impact we can all have immediately is becoming a flexitarian, meaning right away we eat less meat, principally less beef. We eat way, way, way too much beef. And we don't need, on top of it, it's not healthy. And on top of it, we don't need it. Human, I know we need our protein, but plenty of protein source can be found elsewhere. And now we, we find that, you know, I'm not saying let's go vegan tomorrow. It's not possible. But I'm, I'm saying let's all be flexitarian tomorrow. That's possible. Yeah. Uh, and I, what I love about it is when you see now you have a lot of plant-based options that are absolutely fantastic. Um, and you have halloumi burgers, you know, impossible burger, beyond burger everywhere now. You know that even in Lille, you don't have that where I'm from, like where I am now in France. I'm like, I guess restaurants, I'm like, where's the beyond burger? It's not there, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, and those are like the nice places, you know. Mm, I think there's a big culture shift though, in a place like France, convincing people to have something that looks like a burger, but is not meat. And you know, burgers worldwide, it's been 10 years now. It's all about the gourmet burger, you know, your burger at 15 US dollars, you know, like Mm -hmm. very fancy, very delicious, very juicy. I always loved since I'm a teenager, a really good burger and French fries I moved to having no beef for many, many, many years. And now that I have the Impossible Burger back or the Beyond Burger or all the halloumi from, oh my God. I And here in Europe, I can't find it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I also think, you know, in Malaysia and in many parts of Asia, there's so much good vegetarian food anyway. Yes. So having conversations about flexitarianism or eating less meat or eating more plant-based proteins like tofu, those are easier conversations to have because this kind of food is already very much in the local diets. But what else can we do besides diet to reduce our carbon footprint? The second easy step uh, on top of the diet is just look at what is in your garbage every day and see how what you can remove from the garbage. I know the food packaging is kind of difficult. It depends where you are located. Uh, but for the feminine care, for sure, if for your bathroom, you, you have plenty of options that are garbage-free. Uh, and you have as well for the bathroom, yeah, the bamboo toothbrush is a great, I mean, reselling four bamboo toothbrush for 40 ringgit, so it's 10 ringgit a bamboo toothbrush, they are often on sales. So when they are on sales, we sell. I can tell when family buys. They sell. They buy for the year, you know. So you can really find um, really good alternative. I mean, zero waste, compostable, package-free options now. Food is always tricky if you do not have a zero waste store. But if you cook a lot and you have your wet market around you, that's enough. Uh, you don't need, you know, uh, to have. And at the wet market, obviously, you just bring your own containers and bags and whatever it is uh, so it's fairly easy Southeast Asia I find it easy and of course composting composting so important uh, I've been composting since I was in my tiny flat in Hong Kong I was doing the bokachi and I discovered bokachi, uh, composting then uh, composting is so so important because right away we decrease our methane emission which is obviously extremely toxic gas and part of the climate change maybe to explain to you how compost works. It's wet waste, organic waste, natural waste from peels, from fruits um, that you put in a box with holes because you need air and some carbon, which is usually dried leaves. So you can have, and you mix it once in a while. Of course, you add layers. You add layers of wet waste, wet wa- layers of carbon. Usually it's two thirds of carbon and one third of wet waste. And you mix, mix, mix put air in it, and then you obviously have, you know how compost looks like, this beautiful black, super rich soil that you can use as fertilizer and to grow any kind of food. In a nutshell. (laughs) But what happens is if you put your wet waste in your usual plastic bag uh, that goes in the landfill, that actually... You know, it's like when you put a plant in a plastic bag and you see the starting, starting to have like foggy around it and you're going to die of course because it's going to be asphyxiated same idea it's still alive it is still alive and then it creates this all methane in this plastic bag it's like a mini bomb if you want 
right? Uh, because it doesn't have the carbon, it doesn't have the air. Uh, so it's just releasing methane. And if it's in the landfills at a point, you know, it depends which landfills you are on. Some landfills are, let's say, very well done and properly sealed. Some landfills are obviously poorly done and it's still leaking into the mm-hmm. water lies or the soil around it. And then we're going to grow food around the soil around it and all those kind of things. Or it's just being released yeah. in the air. And this is so it, no matter what, if it's from the soil, if it's from the, 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 the water ground, the soil or the air, it's all extremely toxic. And this same methane is, um, I don't know what is the exact number, but it's 20 times plus more toxic than carbon dioxide. Wow. This is how dangerous it is. And cows release methane. So it's a bit of the same idea of when we, we just talked earlier, eat less meat because it's part of like cows release a lot of things and they consume so much water. I mean, it's a whole livestock is forestation, is water consumption, is feeding rather than human feeding the animals, all those kind of things. But at the same time, methane is part of the equation and why it is so toxic. Same idea with composting. So composting, same, it costs nothing. You do it in your garden, you bring it to your community garden if you don't have a garden or even a balcony. On top of it, for me, compost, I really like it because I enjoy it. I'm not a manual mm-hmm. person, but I, I enjoy it making my own little compost and I enjoy bringing it. Feel, it makes me feel right to put my eggshells, to put my coffee ground, my all my peels, you know, in the soil. I'm going to be soil one day, you know, it's this kind of like, the cycle, yeah. Yeah, whatever is working for you, how you see it mentally, spiritually, whatever. It's part of my little, little mindfulness moment of the day, which I barely have any. We have a, a company to run and three kids in a young age and a dog who's getting old. But, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, it's, it's my little moment where I enjoy my little composting system and, and the fact that... Um, I can, you know, and here actually, I don't really compost. I'm lucky enough to have a garden. I live in a flat to have a garden next to me where they have the whole compost system. So I collect it for a week. And after that, I'm just dropping it downstairs. And then you just bring it there. That's great. Because in in KL, are you living in an apartment? What do you do with your compost waste? No, I was living first in an apartment, then I moved to a flat. So in KL... Same, actually. Every week I would bring it to Kibun Kibun Bongsa because I go there with my kids all the time. So we go there once a week and we would bring our compost and they had a huge composting system. So they have different places where you can drop the wet compost. So you drop it there and then they will put it in their massive bin composting system in the back. But uh, for me, because I live in Bongsa, that's where I go. But you can be from, I know TTDI has some, I know SS2 has some. So I think every neighborhood now has a com- community garden. Yeah, there's more and more community gardens popping up. You mentioned greenwashing earlier in relation to recycling the Nespresso pods. And I just wanted to talk to you about that, you know, about where in the chain recycling falls. Um, because it doesn't solve the problem of waste emissions or creation, right? Uh, in our home, we also don't use Nespresso because while it is really great coffee, I have to say Nespresso makes really great coffee, super convenient. I just didn't like the idea of the single-use pods. So what are the things that we need to be more aware of as consumers? Can much of this packaging be recycled? And is that even the answer? See, I was thinking that like that about 10 years ago when I swip, swapped yeah, from the journey from the Nespresso machine or the coffee pot machine, let's say, because there are so many, it's not necessarily just that brand. The coffee pot machine to just you buy your coffee in one kilogram or in bulk if possible at the hive, you can buy it in bulk, of course, uh, and um, and just have no waste except for the big package of one kg of coffee. But I think it's for everything in your house. Don't, I think we're thinking too complicated because sometimes people are like, uh, like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a pen and they're asking me, what do I do with my pen? I'm like, try to think more like, 
the big, big impact products, what you use really every day, a pen maybe you use for the yeah. full year. So it's pretty minimal at the end of the day. So don't complicate your life too much. Here is, it's, it's what we call eco-anxious. Uh, it's not part of the solution either. We, we want to have an happy, a happy journey. So try to make your life easy and see what feels right for you. At the end of the day, it, for us, we moved from the coffee pods because, but everything was being sent in a plastic bag that Nespresso would supply to us, a big thick plastic bag that was back in Hong Kong. And we would bring it to IFC uh, Mall. So I had, to, but I was there. I was working nearby, so I was I would bring it there, and then it would be sent to Switzerland. Oh, okay. To be recycled in the Swiss uh, factory, which I believe it's true. But the aberration of bringing yeah, from Europe, maybe manufacturing in Europe, back to Asia, and then putting it on a thick plastic bag and then shipping back all the spots to Switzerland made no sense, right? So that's where you're like, okay, recycling is, again, not the solution. What you have to think about is don't think about product if if it can be recycled first. It's always, can I have a reusable option or or a compostable option. And if you can't have the reusable and composting, because once you have the reusable, you have everything in your house. You don't need to buy anything anymore. Uh, some people are super green. I'm like, I'm not there yet. Like so zero waste that their house barely has anything and everything is reusable. I'm like, those are the wonderful people, but I don't know. I'm a mom of three young daughters and it's not happening. <laughs> it's just happening. Um, and I feel like I'm going to lose them more and more as they go through preteen and teens. But anyway, it's a journey. Here, once you have all your reusable in your house, most of them, you realize you don't need to buy any other product. So once you have your coffee machine and you know where to source your, your products, you don't have to think about where to recycle. If I buy these coffee pots, can it be recycled here in Malaysia? I mean, it's too complicated. I mean, I go crazy for me. I, I, I used to go crazy in Hong Kong already because then I realized it's not recycled. But you're looking at constantly looking at the numbers, what can be recycled. Here in France, it's very complicated. You're part of the EU. So my husband keeps on looking at, oh, and when you're Belgium and Holland, this can be recycled in Holland and Belgium, but not in France. <laughs> oh, because, you know, has, according to the nearby countries in the EU. So I'm like, how come in France we recycle less than in, in, uh, in uh, Belgium? And which is true. Belgium is recycling much more than France. And I'm like, so what do we do? We're going to bring our waste to Belgium so it can be recycled there. Uh, it, it's so annoying. So the idea is really to go for not having it in the house and not having to deal with it and ask ourselves, can it be recycled or not be recycled? And it's to be as much as possible, then refuse, reuse. And I know it's easy to say, and there will always be some products you can't avoid. Uh, mainly for now, us here, because we moved here for just a short, short while because of my daughter, but we have to recreate our own routine and we don't have the hive anymore. So I'm very stabilized <laughs> because I'm like, no, I'm like, you don't have all your products. Yeah, I used to. I mean, it was very easy for me, obviously. Uh, my life was all sorted out. I had my little ecosystem and everything. I had my deliveries from my, my farmer's basket coming at the highway every Tuesday. I had my dried food. I had all my kitchen, kitchen bathroom supplies. Now I had to rebuild everything, but we have many zero waste stores, so it's okay. Yeah. You've, the hive has grown from one outlet, which was almost like a community community store, which didn't make any money for two years, to now its first retail store in Singapore. You supply in the U.S. through Amazon. You're looking to supply in Europe as well. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned on this journey? Uh okay. I had many, many lessons because see, this journey is multiple. Uh, it's a sustainable journey, it's a green activist journey. At the same time, it is an entrepreneurial for-profit journey. So sometimes those two conflicts. Uh, and you have to ask yourself what is best for the company. Because at the end of the day, now it's just not me. I have employees. And I need to make sure everybody is happy and well-paid at the end of the month. So my journey now has shifted obviously over the past six, seven years. And uh, now it's, I stick to what very much, if a product doesn't feel right, ultimately I discontinue. If I feel like 
It's, I'm not in love with it. Um, I, 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 you know, customers were asking for it. I'm not going to give example, but customers were asking for it. And then ultimately I sourced it. I got it. And then ultimately I'm like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. I'm stopping it. Uh, but for me, my love, my passion, my everything has always been my sustainable feminine care. From day one, I always said every female on the planet should be on whatever is your jig, the cup, the pads, the underwear, but we should all be on it. We all benefit from it. We all save money from it. We don't have to pay the pink tax on it. We don't have the period poverty for most female on the planet Earth. Uh, because, of course, I'm talking from a very privileged white female from Northern Europe. But there is a lot of, most of us, all our sisters on the planet Earth are facing period poverty. So we don't have period poverty anymore. We don't have the pink tax to pay, which is very discriminatory for us. We don't have the waste coming out of it. I mean, it's, it's unless benefits. And, of course, it's much more practical. We're getting so much freedom out of it. So for me, feminine, sustainable feminine care has always been my baby, my love, my passion. And this, those products, I mean, I've developed a range over the years and we've donated, we've educated, we've done so many things with it. I love every bit of it. If I could just do, because at the beginning, I, I you know, I created a product because it didn't, it was not there. As a consumer, I needed my oat, I needed my pasta, I needed my rice organic package free. But now I'm like, if I could just do feminine care with my, I would just do that. Because now we have a thousand, thousand SKUs. It's insane to manage. I'm sure some other people will do it much better than we do. Uh, now that we showed the, showed the, the, the country it's possible, you can make it, the customers are going to be out there. But I, I, I started all of it, so now I'm continuing it. But if I could, in 20 years, supermarkets all have zero waste uh, range everywhere in supermarkets, online, office, and they do a much better job than we do, and it's like everywhere from Tesco to Walmart. I don't need to exist anymore. I'll be happy to just have the feminine care. From day one, I was the first one selling the menstrual cup in Malaysia. It was other brands, of course, which were more expensive. Uh, and I was the first one, people would look at me with a menstrual cup. They would be like looking at me with saucer eyes. Insane. Like this is never going to work in an emerging country like, like Malaysia. Of course it worked, but it took a long, long time. But I was talking, talking until your ears bleed. You're like, okay, I'll buy it from you. And then they're like, it's amazing. Uh, I really like the high vet. Um, that was my first and only menstrual cup that I've ever used. But I also think in Malaysia, probably your other products like the reusable napkins and the period underwear will work better because in general, it's not a market that uses a lot of tampons. True. Uh, and we do sell much more. But I predict, Elena, mark my word, in 10 years, we'll sell more menstrual cup than pads. Okay. Because uh, to me, the market will evolve the, the, of course, for the cups, it's very much millennial mm -hmm. uh, buying them. But then, of course, it matures. Yeah. And then the next generation and the millennials are keeping their cups and stuff. So I think the market will evolve and it will just... And to me, the cup, oh my God. I, I can't talk about it because then it's going to be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the cup, it's education, reproductive, sexual... I mean, yeah. it's everything. Yeah. Everything that our generation and most of female on the planet Earth are kept in the dark. Yeah. Owning your body is everything. So um, uh, it's another subject, but I love, love, I, mean, I love the three of them from the underwear to the pad to the cap. I love the three so much. I love to, to see that passion. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's what this podcast is all about, right? People who have found their passion and their purpose and are not just using, you know, are using it to really impact other communities and other people. So that's a nice way to segue into my favorite question, which I ask all of the guests on this podcast. And that is, what does purpose mean to you? Purpose. I often think about it. I, I think it's, I'm talking for every retailer, F&B, hotel, hospitality, we had a horrible 18 months, really nightmare, nightmare. And I, I'm in zero waste. I sell food that is package free during pandemic time. I mean, 
you can imagine the challenge we had to go through. And we had a lot of stores pre-pandemic. So I really, really, really had a hard time over the past 18 months. It's been very, very difficult. But I knew people wanted to make sure we stayed open, and but there was nothing we could do at this stage. Uh, but again, I was still very... And if we were, every morning it was so hard. I would ask, would I want to do something else? No. <laughs> no, I love, love what I do. And I keep on thinking if I die tomorrow, which is not a good thing because I have three young kids. <laughs> I can't die tomorrow. I can die in 20 years. They'll be okay. But not before. Uh, if I die tomorrow, I did something. You know what I mean? I, I had an impact. Mm-hmm. On waste, which is ridiculous when you think about it, but I did have an impact, and I tried to really reduce the waste we create every day. And I, I my minuscule cell of dust of whatever in the universe, I will have avoided those tons and tons and tons of waste, which our our planet is obviously being drawn into. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important, and. I've many, many people who, um, who I speak to on this podcast, that's what it is for them as well. It's creating an impact, creating an impact, which is beyond just you and your own life. And it's extremely powerful and it's extremely motivating as well. We, we need to be there. Yeah. We still need to educate. We still need to, to, uh, to make sure, you know, one little, I mean, it was just too important at this stage. And uh, and now after the COP26, I'm even more wind up. You can imagine how wind up I am. Uh, I'm so upset about many things. I'm not going to even mention it now. But I feel like it's even more important now to be in and educate, educate, educate. So if we, if, if we were to look sort of 10, 15 years into the future, what would be your hope for retail and supermarkets by then? What are you hoping that will be implemented across supermarkets that will be mainstream by then? I think it will be a world of convenience where indeed we will have a fridge that just we order everything for ourselves. But we will have, you know, more and more, my dream, uh, more and more, uh, all the cities will have their own farm, which are obviously the vertical farming. So most of our wet uh, wet foods and fruits, uh, will come from our city or 50 kilometer radius. Um, we can grow now exotic food in uh, even in, because you can't ask customers to not eat tomato in winter. Uh, I realize that too, but we need to then grow tomatoes in winter, let's say. Um, or you can't ask KL people to not have tomato and only eat green because you know a farmer's basket is only green. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's a bit of a challenge for a lot of customers. They are like, Claire, I need other things than leafy green. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's all we can grow in Kiel weather. So this is why now we have all this vertical farming that are coming. And that are, um, every year are better on energy consumption and better on the loss of waste of food and stuff like that. So I think in 20 years, most of our food will come from there. We definitely will be... M- barely eating any meat to me yeah uh everything when i see the amount of unicorn just in asia uh, with their plant-based chicken fish shrimp you name it uh beef of course made out of durian jackfruit i mean it's insane yeah i love every bit uh so and i think all our food will come in a system now you have loop in tesco in the northern uk in France, we have as well our own system of like starting. To, I mean, it's very niche, but things are growing very fast where you have your reusable system, reusable containers. And and since we have our automatic, uh, I think, fridge, well, they will reorder automatically by then. Uh, that will come in a reusable system. Yeah. And a returnable system. A reusable container. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's just uh, going like that. So that's the future I see. I'm trying to stay positive. I've always been positive. Don't get me to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> so then what's next for the hive and for you? Okay. So next for the hive, for me, again, is democratization of uh, zero waste products. So even in Northern Europe or in Australia, New Zealand, our products are expensive. It is still expensive. Even Q-tips that are compostable are more expensive than a plastic one. That's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. And a box, for a matter of fact, I manufacture it. 
two boxes of 100 Q-tips in bamboo and compostable packaging, we sell it for two US dollars. So it's one US dollar per box. So please someone tell me why it cannot be done in anywhere else in the world. It's just, I don't know why the FMG products, the fast moving goods are still very much disposable and very much plasticky, but all those brands could easily switch to me to compostable or reusable and keep their prices because we're talking about massive, massive brands. Uh, so for me, it's to make those FMG products, fast moving goods that we sell at the hive again, toothbrush, dental floss, Q-tips and all the feminine care uh, solid soap, solid shampoo, making those super cheap. And that's where the hive comes in. We are this in-between. We are not the perfect solution, but we're definitely part of the solution. Yes, 100%. And if you can do that at scale, then it makes, it does democratize it, right? For, for everybody. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's what we're trying to do now. And right now, so it's a complication of custom logistic. And now the, the containers are quite expensive. So I, again, I really want to make sure our prices are very reasonable for um, any Northern European consumer. I really want, you know, the, the people going to Aldi and Lidl, I want them to go and buy our products. I want them to not buy all those disposable FMG. I want the hive to be there. It's extremely exciting, extremely challenging, but I'm super pumped. <laughs> so um, let's see what the universe is going to give us. But um, that's where I think we're coming and we're showing to them it's possible. We're doing it. We've been doing it for years now. I have such admiration for the fact that it's been such a challenging year for you, but you are, well, two years now, 18 months. Um, but you're still so motivated and you're still thinking so big. Um, so big in the sense of, you know, making these products at scale so that they're affordable to people everywhere, not just in Malaysia and Singapore. Correct. Um, Correct. so thank you so much, Claire, for your time. This has been such a interesting chat. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Elena. Thank you for everything you're doing. You are definitely having an impact as well in our community, having all of us speakers and I'm being inspired really by it listening to all the podcasts that you've been producing and your questions are very good. So I hope, uh, yeah, it will, I mean, you know, sometimes you just need one person to listen to your podcast and it's going to change something else in the other part of the world or next door. We don't know, but yeah, it definitely has a big impact. So thank you so much for inviting oh, me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've had such a, such a nice chat and, um, I'm looking forward to seeing all of the exciting directions that the hive is going to next. It's going to be interesting. Thank you so much for tuning into this chat with Claire. If you want to know more about how to live with less waste, I'm linked to the Hive's blog in the show notes, which contains loads of useful tips. Remember that even small things do add up. I know that it can sometimes feel overwhelming and like climate change is inevitable, but there are things that we can all do to reduce our impact. Next week, I have a very special episode wrapping up some of what I've learned about purpose in the last six months. Six months, can you believe it? Since I started this little project. You'll also be hearing from some of the guests that I've had on the show over these first two seasons. Follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. Bye.